Tell you what, I, I appreciate the kind words and um, I'm very thankful for all the people who've had such a big influence on my life. And a, and a lot of them are my family, a lot of them are here, not family, Brother Ron and Sister Rhonda included, had a big impact on me. And um, we should never underestimate, in fact, we just don't know the power of the impact we have on people. We don't know. We don't know what God is using us to do. You may be 20, 30 years down the road and find out you changed somebody's life through God. And, and, you know, we don't need to know everything He's using us to do. If we did, I guess our heads would be too big to get through the doorway, wouldn't they? Um, But, you know, I say all that to say, all you really need to know about me is I have a Savior who changed my life and continues to transform this mess that I am into something he can use. And I'm thankful for that. Thankful for him. That's the message on my heart tonight. If I titled it, I would call it Jesus plus nothing. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. And before I begin preaching, I, I want to... Uh, let all of you know and invite you. Um, I've recently accepted the pastorate at Hendersonville the first Sunday in January. I accepted. My wife joined the church, and so I get to baptize her. And then Brother Jonathan Dunn, who's Connie and Russell's son, all these years we wondered if he was saved, and then turns out he was, but he never told it publicly. And then last Sunday... Uh, Connie joined at Hendersonville, and then we had already dismissed service. And Jonathan came up about to choke to death and said, I need to join the church. <laughs> so I raised my voice, got everybody's attention. He told his testimony. So he and Merritt both will be baptized next week. And I want to invite a Buffalo Springs Church. Um, I know you all have service, and a lot of people do, but we're having a fellowship meal after service, so service at 11, fellowship meal, and then the baptism in case people want to come that have their own church obligations. And we really, we want it to be a, a fellowship. Um, that little congregation has been struggling and down to a handful of people and God's already working and the Holy Spirit has been moving. And we had a service this morning, it wasn't noisy or anything, but it's one of the best services I've been in in a long time. The Lord was there with us. So um, pray for us. There's work to do in that community and in that church. But also, uh, if any of you are able, I'd love for you to come and just fellowship with us and celebrate uh, two, maybe maybe some more, but two that we know of being baptized into Christ. Amen. Baptized into Christ. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7. Pray for me for the message. I've been wrestling with how to approach this. I I sort of feel like I need to read the whole Hebrew letter. And if I did that, I wouldn't get to preach any because we'd be all tired. So I'm just going to try to follow the Lord. Okay. I'll start in the sixth chapter. 
17th verse to give us a context. Wherein, and I'm just going to read and then explain. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For this high priest, or for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. Abideth a priest continually. Now, consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people, or from the people, according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them, received tithes of Abraham, and blessed him that had the promises, and without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Let me just pause here and make sure we understand what's going on. If you're not a, used to church, and I don't know if everybody here has been to church a bunch, if you're not, this probably doesn't make a bit of sense. And even if you have gone to church a bunch, you may not remember much about Melchizedek. This, this is one of the only places that even talks about him. So, I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about. God um, established a, well, a, a covenant would be what to call it, I guess. It gave the law to Moses, and Moses gave it to the people. And God had in his heart for the people to know him, and they had in their hearts a contractual relationship. <laughs> Moses gave them an opportunity to really know God, and they told him, go up in the mountain, listen from God, find out what he wants to tell you, come tell us and we'll do it. But we're afraid of him. We don't want to get too close. So God allowed them to have this relationship based on a, a legal covenant of the law. And before that ever happened, before the children of Israel were ever in Egypt, and before Moses got them out, and before they wandered in the wilderness, and before God gave Moses the commandments on stone tablets, before any of that happened, there was a man named Abram, who wasn't a Jew because there weren't any Jews yet. God uh, invented him in Abram. Abram. He called him. There, there weren't, this, people have this idea that God selects a special people. No, He selects whoever He wants to and makes them special. Amen. And that applies to every one of us Amen. who is God's child. He calls you and that's what makes you special. He doesn't call you because you are special. Amen. So, before any of this history of the Jews ever happened, and before God ever established the Levitical priesthood, even though he would do all of that later. He knew he would do it. And he knew that 
the law would be given to Moses and that he would call priests from the sons of Levi as a foreshadowing of the necessity of a priest to intercede between us and God. All of this was to teach people who didn't understand about the nature of God and to show them the separation of God from man. That was part of the point of the law. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. God, from creation, all up until the establishment of the law, the political priesthood, He was always trying to show sinful people that we're not like God. Amen. That was the point. God is holy and other and separate from sinners. And if there was ever a religious system that could have justified somebody, it would have been the religious system that God implemented. Right? Not something we came up with on our own hundreds or thousands of years later. If there was ever a religious system that could have justified people in the sight of God, the only one that might have been able to do that would have been the law that God established and gave through the Levitical priesthood. And we see, we're going to see here in this message tonight that even that never justified anybody. It was always deeper than that. And that's the point of this story about Melchizedek who is so mysterious. We don't know much about him. That's the point. Before all of this happened, God called Abram, sent him out. And I, I love his story because he basically tells him, go down there. <laughs> I'll let you know when you get there. Amen. I mean, that's faith. He leaves his home, leaves his family, goes in a direction and doesn't know why or how far or when he's going to get there. God says, just go, I'll let you know. So Abraham is trying to serve the Lord. He's trying to be faithful. He is the beginning. I mean, he's the father of promise. And inside of his loins is the Levitical priesthood. And he's coming back from taking over a bunch of the enemy, getting a bunch of their stuff, their spoils, the spoils of war. And he, before, this is before the law, before priests, before the sons of, before all of that. See, all of this was in the plan of God. He knew it would happen. But it hadn't happened yet. And Abraham didn't know any of that. But he had a heart that wanted to follow the Lord. And so he meets this man, Melchizedek, who we only know is the king of Salem, which means peace, the priest of the Most High God. We don't know much about him other than that. Without father or mother, we don't, we don't know where he came from. We, and Abraham, let's listen to this again. Now consider, fourth verse, 7th chapter, consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Any Jew would think Abraham was the most important person in their lineage, other than maybe King David, but there would have been no David without Abraham. He was the start of all of it. And he meets this mysterious priest of God and gives him a tenth of the spoils. He, he tithes to him. Why? There was no law. There were no rules about tithes and offerings. Why did he do that? How did he know to? Mm-hmm. 
Fifth verse, Verily, they that are the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. So, later, the sons of Levi got tithes or a tenth of the people's goods and possessions and profits because the law told them to. This was before the law. How did Abraham know to do this? And then listen to this part. Um, That is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham, but he whose descent is not counted from them, Melchizedek, we don't know where he came from, he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Now listen to this, without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. I want to make sure we understand that. Abraham, the most important man God called up to this point, the beginning of Judaism, the beginning of anything related to Jewish tradition, he was the first Jew, was the less, the lesser. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, blessed Abraham. Abraham gave him his tithe as a token that he was worthy to receive it. How did he know to do that other than that it was in his heart, that God put it there? Let's keep reading. And this, I'm sorry I'm taking so much time on it, but I'm, I'm not sorry because this, this is so... Um, so much technical religious stuff we're not used to anymore. We're, we're not Jews. We don't dig into the law. We just try to serve the Lord. But if He'll help me, it's all going to come together at the end of this message. Here, 8th verse, 7th chapter. Here, men that die receive tithes. But there, He receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that He liveth. And is I may so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. Oh, I love that. Levi, who was in the loins of Abraham, effectively paid tithes to Melchizedek before he ever became Levi or before the Levitical priesthood was ever made. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also in the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar." For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Of the tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood, and it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Oh, I thank God. I don't even know how to express how overwhelmed my heart is that we have a priest made after the power of an endless life who doesn't conform to any religious tradition. We know so little about Melchizedek, but Abraham knew enough about him, whatever he felt in his spirit, that he gave him deference and honor and showed him that he thought more of him than himself. 
And God used this as a type or a shadow to show Abraham and to show us as we look back on it that there would be a high priest who would arise that was not just under, he wasn't under the law, he was beyond it in a way that Melchizedek was completely separate from everything Levitical. Jesus wasn't even from that tribe. Neither was Melchizedek. God always had in His heart a plan that was bigger than religion. Amen. Always. And I want to read this 11th verse again. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek? Do you understand what he's saying? If the law ever could have justified anybody, we wouldn't have needed another Melchizedek. And we wouldn't have needed the first Melchizedek. But the law, you know this if you're saved, the law never was enough. We have this priest who's made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. You read this, it doesn't sound like God... um, I want to be careful how I say this. The Hebrew writer refers to the law that God gave Moses as a carnal commandment. I mean, it never was meant to save anybody. Amen. Let's continue reading. He testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. The, the very law that God gave Moses is referred to as weak and unprofitable. You know what that makes me think of? Remember when the apostle said, why are you returned to the weak and beggarly elements <laughs> that God rescued you from? We may not be Jews by birth or tradition today, but many of us subject ourselves to religious traditions that never could save us. We always needed something bigger and outside of any religious system. We always needed someone beyond that to redeem us. That's the point. For the law, 19th verse, this this makes it clear. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. By the which we draw nigh unto God. The only way you get to God is through this better hope. This better hope is Jesus, who was typified in Melchizedek. Now, we don't know much about Melchizedek. We don't have to. You know that? You don't have to know much about God in your mind to submit your life to Him. You don't have to understand much of it at all. In fact, I've met people who weren't able to understand much of anything. They just, they had mental deficiencies that there just wasn't much there. And God still saved them. See, it's not about filtering through your mind. It's not about understanding. It's not about knowing all the details. It's not about knowing how it works and how God put it together. Just like this, we don't know about Melchizedek, father, mother, where he came from, none of it. But we know Abraham, the patriarch, knew something in his heart that he should submit to him. When God deals with us, it's all you need to know. I mean, really. When he draws you, surrender to him. Now, we preach that really well in our ranks. What we don't talk much about is, that is the Christian life. 
There's too many safe people that the last time you ever surrendered to God unconditionally is 30 or 50 or 60 years ago when He saved you and you've never done it again. We're supposed to live a surrendered life. That's the only way to have a life of any purpose or meaning or fulfillment. It's not enough to just get saved, get your ticket to heaven. It's so much deeper. Let's keep, keep reading. I will go through the rest of this chapter. <clears throat> the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath, by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety, or guarantee of a better testament, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. In other words, there were so many priests in the Levitical line because they kept dying. Because <laughs> they were just human. <laughs> but this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Amen. Wherefore, wherefore. He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Amen. Now, of these things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. I'll stop my reading there. If we grasp even the surface of this, if we could just grasp it just barely, we would say in our hearts, Jesus plus nothing. Amen. More of Jesus, less of everything else. Listen, we need more of Jesus, less of our own ideas. We need more of Jesus. I've been preaching this a lot lately. We need more of Jesus and less of our own habits and customs and traditions. We need more of Jesus and less religion. We need more of Jesus and less church stuff. Now, some of you, if you're honest, I, I, can, I can hear it almost saying, well, why can't we have both? Why would you want both? If you understand... I mean, you want the dead Levitical priesthood where the priests just keep dying and they're sinful and they have to offer sins for offerings for their own sins and everybody else's sins and then they need another one and another one. And another. You want that or do you want a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Jesus was beyond the religious system. And I'm afraid today we try to fit Jesus, a priest after 
not the law of a carnal commandment, but the power of an endless life, we try to fit him into religious systems that we're comfortable with. Why do we do that? We do. We act like, well, you can have both. We can have what we're used to. We can have our religious traditions. We can have our custom. You have Jesus too. Listen, if you really have Jesus, you don't need anything else. Amen. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying church doesn't matter. We should just never... I'm, I'm preaching in a church building on a Sunday night. Obviously, it's important. Amen. Don't misunderstand me. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another while it is today. But we have to remember that there is something so much bigger and so much more purposeful and so much more eternal than any religious tradition of our own understanding. The man made after the power of an endless life who's beyond all of that. If we've really experienced Jesus as the transformational power that we claim He is, why would you want to attempt to add anything else to Him? Amen. Really? Jesus said, I think this is all I preach lately. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We don't realize how literally he meant that. I am the way. There is no way to God except Jesus. There is no door to get to God except Jesus. No religious group, no denomination, no church can take you to God. Only Jesus can. Now there is a true... Ecclesia, a true called out people of God who preaches and practices and stands for the truth, and that's important. But we don't do it. Jesus does. I'm the way. I am the truth. One of the burdens on my heart, and I love our people, but one of the burdens on my heart for us is sometimes we're so worried about being right that we become wrong. You can be so focused on being right that you lose the heart of why you wanted to be right in the first place. And we can't forget, Jesus didn't just give us truth. He didn't just say, I'm giving you the truth. He said, I am the truth. If you don't have Jesus, if you're not drawing closer to Him, if you're not pressing toward the mark of the prize, the high calling in Christ Jesus, as Paul said, you don't really have the truth like you think you do. He gave us something so much deeper than religious traditions. And I want to tell you, we serve a God who's infinite, eternal, higher than the heavens. Whatever little bit we think about what we understand about how He wants things is incomplete. You understand that? It's not enough to just practice something that my grandparents' generation taught us. We need to draw close to God right now and see what He's leading and revealing right now. Now, it's not going to contradict Scripture if it's from the Lord. That's one of the tests. But He gave us a new and living way, which is beyond the veil. He didn't expect us to practice an old dead way that somebody told us about. He can reveal now. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am The life. Jesus didn't just give us life. And I don't think we understand. We don't. We don't understand how all-encompassing He is. Because 
even in the words we use, I, I preached this a couple weeks ago. We say, I got saved. <laughs> like it's all about me. Instead of, I follow Jesus. Or I'm a disciple of Christ. Like it's all about Him. There's a difference. Don't misunderstand me. Salvation is so important. It's the foundation, but it's just the beginning. Now, let's pivot a little bit with that as the foundation. I, I won't be much longer. But where my heart is with all this, if you want to turn to Matthew 5, we'll read uh, verse 13 through 16. Some of you probably already have this memorized. And if you don't, it would be a good one to memorize. We need to remember this today. Matthew 5, verse 13, this is Jesus speaking. Speaking to his people. And by extension, he's saying it to us today. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under the foot of men. You're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I want to focus on that salt verse. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its savor, in other words, if the salt is no longer salty, how is it going to do any salting? And if it's not salty, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out in the street and be trampled. I thought about calling this message, get out of the salt box. Y'all know what a salt box is? I know you like to eat here because I've been to your potlucks. This, I, I tell people different churches, I always say Buffalo Springs knows how to, they know how to have a potluck. They know how to have a, a good old fashioned church meal. That means there's a lot of good cooks here, which means you know how important salt is. In my kitchen, on the right side, there's a spice cabinet. On the left side, there's a, a tea cabinet because I love tea so much. I've got a whole cabinet full of tea and a couple of coffees. And this other cabinet, spice racks. All, I, love, I love eating. I like cooking almost as much as eating because that way I could get what I want. And uh, we have different kinds of salt, but there's, there's a box of salt in there. It's just some sea salt that I got for $3 at the store. It's a blue box. I almost brought it, but I, I didn't want to get germs on it, so it's in my kitchen. Because the point of the box of salt is to cook with, not to come show it to you, so you just have to imagine. So, there's this box of salt, and it sits in the cabinet, and all the little salt pieces just sit up against each other. Inside the salt box. And when I cook, not that far from the salt box, if I don't take the salt box out and dump the salt out of the box, it doesn't do anything for the food. Amen. These church buildings we hole up in are like salt boxes. And when I say we need to get out of the salt box, I hope that image is clear. 
There's a whole world out there, a whole, you could think about a cooking analogy if you want to, but you have this whole pot full of vegetables and meat and other things and broth and seasonings, and until you put some salt in it, it just isn't right. And if the salt just sits in the box, it's not doing anybody any good. So these are like two separate things that I pray are coming together. The first thing is, Jesus plus nothing. Whatever we think we're supposed to spread to the world, it better be Jesus. And there's an appropriate way to do it. There's the truth. But if the truth is not Jesus, we're missing it. And the other thing is, He called us to be salt. And it's good to come to the salt box and hang out with the other little salt pieces and rub up against each other. But there's so much more. Amen. God didn't make us salt just to hang out with salt. He made us to go get in things that aren't salty. We don't mix enough with the things outside the salt box. We don't salt the world up enough. We don't. And you know, part of what's in my heart, I don't know exactly the answer. I mean, I could tell you God's the answer, Jesus is the answer. That's all true, but... What do we do about it? If, if, if you think what I'm preaching is true, and I have a sense that you, there's agreement here. I don't think anybody's just, I don't agree. There's, there's an, yes, what you're preaching is true. I might not be doing it perfectly. There's, there's things I could say better maybe. I'm, I'm an imperfect messenger. But we have a perfect Savior that we are supposed to be telling the world about, not, not just rubbing up against each other feeling better. And I wonder if part of why we don't do it is because we're trying to cram the infinite nature of Christ into a little religious understanding of our own cultural traditions and then trying to feed that to a world who doesn't understand anything about this culture. Amen. What if we left the culture out of it and just told them about Jesus? <laughs> and once they found Him, then we can bring them into this culture. Amen. You understand? There's... It's, it, I want to tell you a story. I mentioned it in my sermon this morning, but it has so impacted me. Um, my mom and I were eating at, at Chop House, and there was a waiter. He was a big boy, fun-loving, joking kind of guy, kind of like a college kid. And uh, there was a connection. My heart went out to him, and we, we cut up with him and talked to him and sort of built some rapport. And when... We were leaving, he, he gave us our check, and he said, I have something else for you. And I thought he was going to give us a peppermint or something. And then he said something, this might not be the exact words, but it's close. He said, um, you were made with a purpose, your life matters, and you're loved. And then he started to walk off. And I said, wait a minute, where'd you get that from? And he said, what do you mean? I said, where did you get that? Where did you hear that? He said, I don't know. It's in my heart. And I said, yeah, but where did you get that? He said, I don't know. Maybe God gave it to me. It's just, it's just in my heart. And then he came a little closer and talked a little quieter. And he said, listen, I, uh, I grew up Catholic, and I thought God was like... Rrr, rrr. That's exactly how he said it. And then he said... I didn't find God until I tried to kill myself last Thanksgiving. And I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. 
Do you see? I don't know if I can describe how this impacted me. This is a, a young man who didn't have all the religious baggage I have. He didn't have a couple decades of trying to preach the truth and understand the truth and explain the truth and stand for the... All he had was, my life almost ended. <sighs> and I found God. And I want you to know He can help you. Amen. Three simple words. And I thought, that is so pure. Amen. And it wasn't like awkwardly inviting me to church or telling me to come be part of His religious group or trying to make me do something I didn't really want to do. It was just real. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's not more. There, there, there is, there's doctrine that should be taught. We disciple and all of these things, but we're not trying to um, turn things that aren't salt into salt. We're just trying to salt it. Amen. And then God does the changing. Amen. I guess what I'm trying to say is, if we really believe, and I do, that it's Jesus plus nothing... We need to be more like that young man. Amen. Instead of trying to make people missionary Baptists, let's just tell them about our Savior. Amen. Now, all the other stuff will fall in place later. Because you can make somebody conform to your religious customs and they don't necessarily have a transformation. But if we can love people in a pure way that the power of God is present, the Holy Spirit changes their lives, all the rest can fall in place. Amen. You understand what I'm trying to say? I don't, I don't know how well I've explained it, but that's, that's the burden God sent me here to remind us of and remind myself of too. The gospel is so pure and simple and it's love and there's truth and there's doctrine that matters, but man, the transformational power of God is what we should be evangelizing the world with. Jesus can change your life. Here's how he changed mine. That's what we need to be about. Jesus plus nothing. God bless you all. I love you. I, I want to say this. I think it was mentioned. Uh, I love this little church. I, I just, every time I come here, I, I look forward to it because there's love, there's freedom. It's not like that everywhere. I always enjoy coming here and, and I pray the Lord just works with you all mightily and uh, if you have a potluck, be sure and let me know. <laughs> Love you. Thank you, Brother Ryan.